Hello and welcome. This is Shoulder to Shoulder. Uh, we took a week off, but we're so excited to be back. I'm Megan Silas. And I'm Pam Marvin. And today we are going to be diving into current events. It's the first time we've really done a show that's just kind of focused on what's going on in the world around us um, in a more general sense. Um, so we just felt called to do that because... Honestly, these are dramatic times. Right. And also it has been affecting our relationships quite a bit because there are so many differences of opinion. I, uh, I've i learned so much more about people I've known for years because, you know, as we really can feel that climate of the, the deceiver wanting to divide all of us. And so really pay attention to where you're feeling divided and, and how can you have some unity. For sure. You know, I'll give a little personal story on this. Um, you know, as a person who converted where um, basically no one else in my family except my children kind of came along with me, um, you know, there's been a certain sadness for me that I don't share um, the Catholic faith with my family, like my parents and my siblings and things like that. Um and so, you know, sometimes it's easy to focus on that, that the fact that, oh, man, I really wish that we had that in common Likewise. and we could share that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was on the phone with my dad the other day and we were talking about, you know, political sort of things. And I recognized, you know what, we actually agree on all of this stuff. You know, they may not be Catholic, but they are Christians. And that's how their mind approaches the topics at hand. And so with my parents and my siblings and my husband, all of whom are not Catholic, we all are of the same mind as it relates to some of these really big issues of our time and recognizing it and feeling such gratitude for it. You know, I just stopped in that conversation and I said to my dad, I was like, dad, I am so grateful that we agree on these things, that we share the same priorities. And that was a unifying thing for us, you know, um, and I've heard stories um, in the lives of friends where there are disagreements on a lot of these issues that are at hand, and it is really seriously impacting um, the harmony within the, the family relationships, friend relationships, and it's sad um, that that you're like you said, the enemy gets in and does his work. Yeah. And I think one of the things I want, so now we're going to, we're going to talk about current events because we just want to be topical. And also this is the episodes that is going to be airing soonest. So we want it to be relevant. Um, but the recording that we're going to do the next podcast after this is going to be about respectful disagreement, which, uh, you know, once we get into these topics that are very um, polarizing at times, contentious. contentious, you know, then, you know, in the next podcast, we'll talk about, OK, you find yourself in this situation where you're disagreeing. How do you function within a conversation in a healthy, holy way exactly. that has a, any chance of having some fruitfulness other than, you know, bad fruit, which leads to, you know, pain and, you know, anger and that sort of thing. So, you know, we're going to raise up some of those things in this conversation that may be areas where people are struggling to um, be charitable towards one another. But next episode will help you deal with them. So there you go. So right. we won't leave you unaided. Right. Well, one of the things I wanted to start off with today, Megan, is I recently did a Red Sea Roundup show on faithful citizenship. And after I had, uh, there was a couple of things, points that I felt that really hadn't been made. 
And I kind of wanted to do that today because okay. it's been on my conscience. All right. Well, give give the people who didn't hear that, which is probably a good number of them, um, right. a little bit of a sort of synopsis of what was covered in that show. So the Faithful Citizenship document by the USCCB talks about many things, life being the preeminent issue, as well as, and it had named other points as well to be considered um, that were the environment and racism and things of this nature. And one of my biggest points was always look at party platform to what do they support and look down the road, like do your research as to what is the fruit from it. I love that saying so much as mm-hmm. you will know them by their fruits. That was really important. But I was left with a sense that did we leave it where the preeminence of the life issue was equal to those other issues mentioned in the document? I wasn't sure. I was a little confused about that. I'm not sure there was clarity in there. So I wanted to kind of make it clear to uh, listeners, maybe if you do listen to the Roundup and the podcast as well, to, to make that very well known that life is a preeminent issue. Our Lord is much offended that our country has been putting up with the scourge of abortion for the many years that it has. The loss of life over these past 50 plus years is just unacceptable in the mind of the Lord. And also the Blessed Mother weeps bitterly over this. And I just want to really make a firm statement about, yes, it's a preeminent issue. There's no issue more important than that. We in the Bill of Rights... Declaration of Independence, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the life issue being, if you don't have life, the other issues don't matter, people. So please vote for life. Well, I I think a point that I would like to make on this is that I, a phrase that you hear a lot, and, and I have to admit, okay, before my conversion, I was a an offender on this front of saying, um, well, I'm personally against abortion. I think it's wrong, but I don't think we should legislate morality. And I also, and this is the phrase that I'm wanting to pull out. I don't, I don't want to be a one issue voter. You hear that a lot. You can't be a one issue voter. Yes. Yes. Abortion is a big issue, but you don't want to be one issue voter. But this is what I would say. The idea of abortion just being about one issue is a lie. Amen. The life issue, the idea of who gets to decide where a life should happen, like when a life should happen, it comes down to this. Is it God or is it man? This is the foundational issue of every other issue. Abortion is not one issue. It is every issue. It is about racism and it is about the environment and it is about immigration. Abortion is about who is the author of life. And if you don't build that on the foundation of the answer being God, then all those other issues become determined by man. What race is more important than another? Well, whoever man decides. 
what do we need to do for about the earth? Who should we support with the earth? This population or that population or this animal imposed to humans? Well, that's for man to decide. How do we treat an immigrant versus, you know, a citizen, man to decide? If human dignity isn't given and determined by God, the rest of the issues all fall into what's your opinion? It's so true, Megan. That's so well put. Because as you were saying also, there is a slippery slope that goes with this. And I got to back up a second and say, as a young woman, I've always really been in, I've always really enjoyed current events and topics. I just really thought I've been very interested. So when I was younger in my 20s, I would hear this slippery slope argument when people said, well, you can't do that because that's a slippery slope and you're going to end up with X, Y, Z. And I didn't really buy that. I, I just, I believe more in the human spirit and the human morality to stop it and say, no, well, that's just too far. But now, now, 30 some odd years later, I've seen exactly that happen. Yeah, it's true. And I think if the people that you're looking at regarding the election and the life issue have their foundation built upon the idea that man decides who lives and who dies from the standpoint of the very beginning of life. Do you really want to trust everybody's life in the hands of those people who have already determined that in the end, it's a matter of opinion? Right. Who should be valued? You know, as you're saying this, Megan, what comes to mind is what we really have. Obviously, it's about the light and the dark. But when man starts to believe they are their own God, right, I can do whatever I want because I am powerful and don't believe that there's really a a deity that helps and gives us a personal dignity. And what you're seeing today very clearly are the people that believe they are their own gods and those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God sent for our salvation. Absolutely. I mean, when you talk about Whenever we look biblically at when human beings get to the point of saying, well, I want to be like God. I mean, there's two big examples in that of of the Old Testament. The first one, obviously, being the original fall where, you know, the enemy comes to Eve and it's like, well, you know, the God said he didn't want you to eat from that tree because he knew that if you did, you'd be like him. Mm -hmm. And she's like. Yeah, you're right. Dude, I should totally be able to eat from this tree. And then, you know, we know what happens, right? And then the story of the Tower of Babel where, you know, um, it said they they wanted to build this tower up to be up like God, right? That they were going to reach the heavens. And and what did God do? He scattered them. He brought them low. And so God loves us. He loves us so deeply, so so profoundly, so much so that he condescended to take on human flesh and die to show us how much he loves us and to give us um, a chance to be fully united with him one day, enjoying the beatific vision. But he loves us too much to allow us to do something that's going to be so destructive for us. So if we think that we can make these choices that deny him, deny his sovereignty, 
deny his, you know, divine right as king and creator of the universe to make the decisions about when life begins and when life ends, it's really just not going to go well for us because he loves us too much to allow us to keep going down the path that we're going. Exactly. You know, there's another big lie out there I want to call out. Um, you know, you just saying that about one issue is not really one issue. I would also say the whole my body, my choice thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is really a lie. Um, because it's not your body that you're choosing to eliminate. It's another human being. So that's, that's absolutely a lie. I want to call that out. Right. And that's interesting that you bring that up because I mean, in the past, obviously like before we had ultrasounds and genetics and all that sort of thing, we didn't have a full understanding of when human life actually, uh, an original human life actually starts. But we know now through science that when that sperm and when that egg come together and create a brand new human DNA set that is a unique, unrepeatable individual. Soul and all. Life starts, you know, a a unique life starts right there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so many times people, you know, they want to replace God with science but the truth of the matter on this issue is that science confirms what the church has teach, taught from Amen. its inception exactly. that, you know, that life is a human life, you know. And so it's interesting how I find it sort of disingenuous, actually, how science can often be used to, um, you know, go against religion. But when it, science is very much like defending what we believe well, we just want to put that aside and say, no, it's just a clump of cells. It doesn't matter. And I would say this, you know, I do also think that there's a certain hypocrisy when um, the folks who might be pro-abortion, if they are carrying a child that they want, have no problem calling it a baby when they want it. So this idea of, you know, human existence being dependent on whether or not one's wanted, that really does get to that point of what I was saying before, immigration, environment, um, racism, all these things. If your idea of what human existence having worth is, is based on whether you're wanted or not, well, it's clear how that ideology can impact all those other things. Absolutely. You're wanted by God. Right. And I do want to bring up, you know, because I said um, I was talking about uh, how we need to acknowledge that it is God who decides, you know, the beginning and the end of life. You know, from we talk about from womb to tomb or from conception to natural death. I do want to talk about that natural death part. We've been we've focused a lot um, on the abortion issue in our country because it's so contentious and. Um, It's so much in the forefront of the political situation. But at the end of life, we've got big issues going on as well regarding euthanasia. It hasn't gotten as much ground in the United States quite yet. In some states, we've already seen, you know, some ability to euthanize um, in certain circumstances that are at this point still quite limited. But this movement towards being open to the idea of 
basically killing people who are sick because they're sick um, has really gained a lot of ground. And I just read an article um, talking about a new law that they're going to be passing in the Netherlands, which just literally broke my heart. Let, let's take this back to the slippery slope, folks. Yeah. Here is something that happens when you say it's okay to kill an unborn child. What's up next? Go ahead, Megan, tell the story. Yeah, so basically the law, euthanasia is quite available in the Netherlands. They've kind of on the forefront of opening the doors towards euthanasia to the point where now it started obviously with elderly people who had, you know, or adults who were capable of making the decision for themselves, being able to elect to end their lives if they like had assisted a, suicide, assisted suicide. Right. So that's where it started. But then it kind of backed up, went to, okay, well, um, if they're not, um, you know, able to decide for themselves, but they're like seriously down the road of incapacitation. So now a fam family members can decide for them. Right. right. So now we've gotten it there where they're passing a law where if you're a child, I think the law, it states from the ages of one to 12, if a child is suffering from a fatal disease, that now they can be euthanized. And when I read Unbelievable. that, you know, and, and if any of you who are friends of mine on Facebook may have seen it. This is where my heart went. I, I, I posted on it and I said, for a long time, people have been treating their dogs like children. And now we're treating our children like, like dogs. dogs. Wow. They're, so true. They're sick. They're hurting. Yeah, it breaks our heart, but we don't put them down like a dog. Right. And you know what that slippery slope, slippery slope sounds like to me, if you start to allow that, Oh, they have behavioral issues. Let's go ahead and put them down because they have behavioral issues. Well, oh, that would be a slippery slope for sure. But I, I mean, even where it's at now, though, like this idea, I mean, let's let's just like really actually think about it. You've got your child who's lying in a bed suffering. And you decide the most loving thing to do is to kill your own child. Now, I am not denying the fact that to watch a beloved child suffer is an immense, incredible pain. I can't imagine having to endure that. But the truth of the matter is, their life has value. It matters. It matters. And it's not your choice to decide They've had enough. I've had enough. Because let's be honest. Is it their pain or your pain that's causing you to make a decision to terminate someone's life in that situation? Because you can't watch it anymore? It's the idea that suffering has no value. Yeah, that is a big problem. Big problem. And it's so antithetical to the Christian faith. Because Christ came to show us the value of suffering. It is through the greatest suffering that's happened on this earth of our Savior taking on the sins of all humanity and suffering a death that was brutal that shows us great good can come out of this if we can surrender to the will of the Father. Now, is it the will of the Father that we suffer? It is his permissive will. It's, is it 
his perfect will? No, because his perfect will is that we would be in a world that's not sinful and that isn't fallen and everything. But we kind of, you know, (laughs) chose against that at the beginning of time. But he made a path. He made a path where he took the result of sin, which is pain and suffering and death, and he transformed it. But we still must journey through it until he comes again and creates a new heaven and a new earth. And this idea that we can create a heaven on earth where suffering is gone and we, we are, everything's just going to be perfect and beautiful and lovely because we all have goodwill. It's not going to happen before Christ renews this earth because sin is still here. It's still in the heart of every man And even in us who are baptized and have original sin washed clean of us, we still suffer from the tendency towards sin. We know it. Any person who is at all honest with themselves know that no matter what our best intentions are to not sin, we do it. We fall into it every single day. And if you're going to put your trust in politicians and government systems and things like that, thinking that they're going to make decisions that aren't, you know, in the reality of human sinfulness, you're deluded. And one thing that comes to mind as you're telling me that is that how many of our friends and loved ones do we know that say, you know, because of the suffering, I'm a better person. Oh, yeah. The fruits, if you go into it with holy desires... If you have your life ordered toward Christ, the sufferings he sends your way are purifications that help you to love more purely and to be um, kind of reducing sin because you're just kind of burning out all of that selfishness. Because that's really at the end of the day, that's part of it. Yes, that can happen. And I think God intends it to happen, but it only happens when we accept it. If we fight it, if we bang our head against a wall and shake our fist and say, how could you, God, do this to me? And I, I refuse to accept it. We only get the grace we are open to receiving. And even so, if it's a little bit, even if the door's open a yeah, little bit. <laughs> right. But if we slam the door and abortion, euthanasia, all these things, they are slamming the door on grace. They're saying, no, Lord. I don't trust that you have the power to work in this, to the power to work in this unintended pregnancy, the power to work in this disease that I never wanted for myself or for my loved one. I don't trust that you can work in this. So I'm going to take things in my own hands and I'm going to make a decision about whether I accept this or not. And I choose not like that's really what we're doing. We're saying I know better than you, God, and I'm taking matters into my own hands. And that is closing the door on grace. And you know what that is? That is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Oh, the that unforgivable is the unforgivable sin. sin. Right. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. So, so Megan, I want to switch gears just a little bit back and let's, let's go on to another very important one. This is what... Folks, I get the opportunity to sit and ask Megan questions about stuff that's really burdening my heart and get her perspective on it. So here we go, because we're going to have we got to talk about the pandemic. We got to talk about COVID a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I personally have really been struggling with the division it's caused just in um, 
within the let's just say just within the church going to mass going to mm-hmm. confirmation prep and just those kinds of things and i i found that my anxiety has gone up tremendously right yeah now I also know that if I have everything rightly ordered to Christ, he's going to reduce that anxiety or I won't have as much if I have a right perspective on it. So I have to say that I'm really struggling with getting that right perspective on just letting people be themselves. But I think what really gets me is when people really keep trying to impose stuff on me that they want, even though it's not the law, um, just those kinds of things where they're trying to impose their will on me mm-hmm. and it causes me great anxiety because I want to do the right thing. I want to do what Christ wants me to do. But again, time and time again, there's other scenarios too that just have been very difficult. So recently my daughter was quarantined because she was exposed at school, you know, so she Your had a daughter to, who's already had it, who's already had it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then that was one of that. Talk about the slippery slope. So then comes the conversations about, can you get it again? Can you not get it again? Mm-hmm. There's controversy on that, right? And then some of her friends somehow got tested and tested negative and showed back up at school. But we were never informed about that. So I didn't know that was an option for her right. to get tested and go back to school. So there's all these little things that are just, I tell you, it's like a thorn just poking, poking, poking at me. And I'm just really trying to get the right perspective on how Christ would want us to look at these situations to be more unifying instead of divisive, but to have justice in there too. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, when I look at the situation regarding COVID, the thing that actually I think is the most frustrating is how we're treating something as this terrible, awful, like frightening disease when the data isn't bearing that out. More and more that we get data, the more and more that, you know, people are being treated and they're finding that it really, truly isn't that much more significant than the flu. The flu that's been with us, you know, for time immemorial that we haven't freaked out about, that we haven't altered our entire existence around. But it's like we got into this mindset early on when we didn't know what it was and we're not letting it go. And all of a sudden, this idea that if you don't take every measure to potentially, you know, avoid contracting or passing it on, that you that now the it's a life issue, like in in the way that people who are, you know, pro-abortion and this, that or the other and, and euthanasia, just like we were talking about before, all of a sudden over here want to control your entire life to mitigate the possibility of getting disease that at this point for if you're at less than 65 and don't have a comorbidity, you have a a less than 1% chance of dying from. So I think this inconsistency, I think one of the things that people are really struggling with, I I think is It just doesn't make sense to some that we would respond this way to something that's bearing out to not seriously be that frightening of a thing as it relates to morbidity and mortality. And when does it end? I mean, I think that's also the question that is really on people's minds. What's the measure that we have to 
get to that says we can stop doing all this. There's no end in sight. And how long can you live in a way that's contrary to human freedom, to human dignity, I would say, because I am, you know, if you are a person who listens to this podcast, you heard us do two talks about masks in the beginning of this podcast um, life. And I am still of the opinion that the wearing of a mask does strip us of our dignity and our reflection of the being in the image and likeness of God. And the longer and longer that we go down this path of wearing these things, especially considering that the risks are so limited to the majority of the people who are out there wearing them, we are losing our sense of ourselves and people recognize that and it's painful. And then to be told that somehow you are not charitable Mm -hmm. because you're not going along with it is even more painful. So painful. I mean, I know your heart, Pam. I know you don't want to make someone think that you don't care about their life, that you don't love them. And if they're telling you, if you don't do this, you don't love me. Well, guess what? If somebody tells you like, okay, say, for example, we're in a scenario where it's a guy and a girl dating and you're a faithful Catholic. And that guy tells you, if you don't sleep with me, then you don't, then I don't trust that you love me. Is it right to do that? To go against what you know is true in your heart and what you believe. Right. To accommodate them because they're saying that's what love looks like to me. No, it's not right. And I think in this circumstance, we have to stop allowing other people to tell us what is truth and what is charity and going along with it if it contradicts what we deeply hold to be true. And be and say to be willing to say to people, I just believe differently on this, right? And this is important to me. I understand that it's important to you and that you have an opinion about it. But my view of things is also valid and also worthy of respect. And I'm not going to tell you you have to do put on a mask, but I'm also not going to allow right. you to tell me that I have to. Megan, I have to point our listeners to um, the Great Barrington Declaration. I don't know if you're familiar I'm, with I've, it. I'm familiar with it, yeah. This is taking, um, is picking up speed across all types of uh, platforms um, as being very authentic and real. These are three physicians who came out with the Great Barrington Declaration on how to approach COVID and the pandemic, which is absolutely, in my opinion, but it don't trust my opinion. I mean, don't trust their opinion. They're like the epidemiologists in this. And they just do a fabulous um, job of talking about how to protect the vulnerable and what to do with healthy people as well. So if you are confused and looking for some answers, I want to just point you to the Great Barrington Declaration. Just Google it and find out more. It's a short video. They have a video out there as well as what they're recommending. And I think it's it's brilliant. And again, it is being widely accepted across all types of political platforms. Yeah. And I mean, of course, we do want to protect vulnerable populations. But understand also that even among vulnerable populations, the death rate is still 
not huge. So it's right. not it's not like this death sentence. Like if you get it, like the chances that you're going to die are, are high. Like, you know, even somebody who's got the comorbidities that are particularly problematic, like obesity and diabetes, diabetes. And, and that sort of thing, you're still like, you know, 95 percent going to get get over it, which in those numbers are getting even better because the truth of the matter is that medicine they are good about learning. They are good about um, finding ways to treat things that were new before, but they've got more experience and everything. And we are doing a better job at treating this effectively so that people aren't getting hospitalized, aren't getting on um, ventilators and things like that. So we've improved that. And we, we need to start adjusting to the realities that exist. Well, right? so I think that's interesting because, yes, I've had this in my personal life where I had to come to that moment that no matter what I said, no matter which truths I pointed him, no matter what experts I pointed in the right direction, the fear was still so overpowering in my loved ones that they couldn't they couldn't hear me. And so through prayer, the Lord was just saying, look, you can speak the truth, but their fear is greater than that. So addressing your personal fear and putting more trust in the Lord, I think, is very important. Which reminds me of part of what the Great Barrington Declaration I thought was beautiful talking about the vulnerable, especially the aged, saying that if you are a grandparent and you want to be around your grandchild, that you <laughs> weigh your own risks. And what does it mean to you? Now, now with me having parents in their 80s, um, we had a very similar situation where my brother-in-law died and mm -hmm. my mom was like, well, of course, we're going to go to the funeral, even right. though every expert would say, don't go to the funeral. Uh, she said, that's just not an option for me. And that was her personal free will. She was willing to take those risks to be at her daughter's husband's funeral. And to me, that's exactly the type of respect and dignity we need to show in these uh, elder populations. It's really up to them. If they want to take that risk, allow it. If they don't want to take that risk, keep them protected. Either way, it's fine. Absolutely. I think that is the, the most important thing to remember is that just because you're old doesn't mean that you don't still have a right to make decisions for your own life about what risks are worth it. We make decisions all the time. We're taking about, a car. <laughs> uh, of course, yeah, a car or, or all kinds of behaviors that we do that, that have inherent risk. Life is risky. That just is. And we all have to make decisions about what risk we're willing to take. And so if you've got an, like an elderly relative who says, I am hurting by this isolation, I, I understand that you're afraid for me, but you got to give me the freedom to make some choices about what I want my life to look like right now. And if I, if th that person is like, for me to enjoy living, for me to feel um, it being a fulfilling thing to experience life means I'm, you know, maybe a greater risk of getting this disease. So be it. Like, and if that's their decision, who are we to say no to it? Like, and so this idea of we get to make decisions for other people about their life, that is the pervasive thing, right? It's like when government gets to decide how you live your life, that's the end point of this slippery slope, right? And 
Yeah, sometimes we're going to need to make decisions communally for, right. the, for the greater good of, you know, a whole community when things are really dire. And, you know, I have spoken on this podcast about when at the beginning of COVID, when we really didn't understand it and things were looking very, very scary when we were looking at what was going on in, in Italy and China and things like that. OK, you know what? We needed to make some decisions that were a little more dramatic to wait and see how things go. But we're how deep into this are we now? And there's no end in sight, but all the data has shown us that we should be pivoting. Mm-hmm. And when you're going into the polls on, on November, you know, not long from now, I'll, I'll guess actually in Texas, you know, we, where Pam and I are, we have early voting right now. So, you know, people are voting now. You've got to look at what does it mean when a party is so happy to tell you all the details about how you should live your life versus we want to open things up and let people decide for themselves. It's important to think about that. You know, Megan, that boils down to something I think is just the heart and the crux of all the issues we're talking about that today, and that is human dignity and mostly the loss of people having respect for human dignity and those those God-given rights. And so it is utmost important to get back to respecting a person's human dignity made in the image and likeness of God, having the spark of divinity that lives within, right? right? And respecting that. Yeah, and I think that's where we get into trouble when the farther we go down um, into secularism, particularly, you know, in the government, because if you don't have God as, you know, the ordering principle, then where does human dignity come from? It's only the consent of the people, right? It is only what we define it to be. What You know, it's just like, for example, a diamond. Let's talk about a diamond, okay? What gives a diamond value? What it's made of? I mean, it's just carbon. It, right. is, it is a simple elemental thing, right? The reason diamonds are valuable is because humans have determined that we give them value. Right, that we like them. We like them. We think they're pretty. We th- right. they, They're very strong, so we can do some stuff with them that we can't do with other things. We assign the value. But if that's what we do to human life, if we decide, decide, you know, assign the value, and it's not God who's assigning the value, that market can crash. Mm. And it's crashed in a lot of ways and it continue to crash. And what happens when the true dignity of a human being is no longer authentically valued as God given, we hurt, we hurt each other. Our relationships suffer, our world suffers. It's that slippery slope Right, again. and we're giving up rights, individual rights when we do that. We need to go back to the founding fathers. They were brilliant in the way they organized the Declaration of Independence and, and set everything out. to be. And they did, based on the dignity of the human person, yeah. given the, and founded by the creator, right? Yeah. God-given rights according to the creator. So, yeah, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to those fundamentals, man. Yeah, that term, we find these rights to be self-evident. I think that idea... Endowed by their creator. Right. That idea that they're self-evident, it's like we're losing that. Absolutely. They're not self-evident to a lot of people anymore. Life, 
liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Life and liberty are not self-evident to people anymore. And that's the sad reality that we live in. And it's going to go further down that path if we vote for politicians who clearly deny the self-evidence of life and liberty, of, pers- of private property, of, you know, your right to make decisions about what risks you're willing to take in life. I mean, these the are freedoms. Let's just say it is freedoms, yeah. individual freedoms. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned, you know, the, the whole thing with Amy Coney Barrett and, and that thing with the um, confirmation hearings for the Supreme court. And, you know, when you see her being attacked for living and believing the truths of the Catholic faith in her life, and we think that that's acceptable to say that that would potentially be a reason to disqualify her. In reality, that should be the reason, one of the reasons that she should be considered most qualified. How far we've come. How far we've come, right? And so if a, if a party is attacking a person for their Catholic faith, what makes you think that if that party becomes more and more powerful, they are going to protect your right to live your Catholic faith? That is naive at best. Absurd at worst. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it. I just don't see any other way to look at it, honestly. I don't. And I don't want to get into arguments. I know I've been hearing, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, can you really be considered Catholic if, you know, you vote this way, whatever. This argument of who is and who isn't Catholic, that is a smokescreen. I think that's that is beside the point. The reality is, can you consider yourself a lover of God if you vote to take away from him what is his? The right to determine when life begins and when life ends. Amen. So, you know, we'll see what happens um, as we go forward. I, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Pam. Um, either way, things go on the election day. I think there's still been very difficult times ahead for our nation I and for so our too. world. And as much as we have, you know, in a very, I think, passioned way, you know, made our views known about um, what we think should happen politically going forward in this nation... In the end, that's not where our hope lies. You know, whether one side wins or the other, whether things get back to normal or we descend into a deeper and deeper place of chaos, we know that Jesus Christ has still won the victory. Amen. And we await for him to come and make a new heaven and an earth. And until that time, we will be steadfast in hope, in faith, in charity, because that is what he's called us to. So no matter what, I just encourage everyone as you're out there. Yes, be honest, be open, be truthful to what God has placed in our heart as a conviction to love one another. And that sometimes means admonishing and that sometimes is difficult and that sometimes can be downright painful. Sacrificial. Very. But never, ever forget 
that we have a good and loving God who will renew all things. And we may see very, very difficult times ahead, but we are called to be salt and light. We are not called to descend into ugliness and bitterness and things that draw people away from the Lord. So let's look at this time as this opportunity. Right. And I want to talk about opportunity because this is something we haven't seen on this scale. I've been in the little Twitter sphere and um, social media where Catholics are rising in great numbers in prayer and fasting. There's been a a big call to fast in some way, according to your health, according to who you are in your circumstance. For me personally, oh, you ready to hear what I'm doing? Yeah, please. I'm trying to stick to one meal a day. I've only been able to do that two two days in a row. I was terrible on the weekend. But I've been drinking, which is really hard for me. I know it's not for some of y'all, but black coffee mm-hmm. um, six days a week. And the seventh day, I get to rest and have my coffee with all my good, <laughs> good. stuff in it. The Lord's day is always a day of Prayer celebration. Prayer and fasting. I think the Lord, that's like he's listening. I mean, he's like his ears saying, how many of you are praying and fasting and turning to the Lord and offering your your pen, your your sufferings to him on a daily basis so that uh, he can take that with the grace through the blessed mother to spread some more love and grace over our country for um, him to reign ultimately at the end of the day. However, with so much sin in the world, again, I wouldn't be surprised a bit if we fall into a a deeper, darker place and more suffering comes upon our land uh, from the poor choices that have been made for so long as regards to abortion. Absolutely. And, you know, I would say let's and always remember that God will call us as individuals to different things. So, you know, what Pam's doing may not be what God's calling you to, but spend the time to pray. Exactly. Be in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit, Spirit, Lord, please guide me. What are you calling me to in this day? How can I best serve you and serve my fellow man through my prayers, through my sacrifices, through my penances? Whatever I can do so that your name may be glorified on this earth and that your will be done on heaven as it is in, in, in earth as it is in heaven. I mean, this is what we're called to. And never, ever allow, you know, your frustrations, your, you know, anger, any of that. Never let it allow you to be sinful, to fall into that sin of, of um, you know, hatred or ugliness or whatever, because if you want to be a witness, that's not going to get it done. Speak the truth in charity. Absolutely. But uh, so, you know, we're going to wrap it up now. But I want to I want to end on this really cute you, note. I think okay. I told you about a good friend of mine who's very faithful, loves, loves the Lord and is very in tune with everything that's going on in the world. She says she just is going to continue to be a person of hope. And when she sees the, such the mess the humans have made, she kind of throws back her head and laughs and says, OK, Jesus, how are you going to get us out of this one? Which I think is a great attitude right. to go into this. Trust in the, the Lord always. Trust in the Lord always. So let's just pray, end with a, a little prayer here. Lord, we just give this all over to you. We trust in you. We trust in your goodness. We trust that you will renew the face of the earth. Come Holy Spirit and kindle in the hearts of your faithful. Make us new. Make us new as only you can. Help us to stop thinking that it all depends on us and understand that it all depends on you and that what we can do best to bring about your will is to surrender to it.
So in this moment, we surrender our lives to you. We surrender our town to you. We surrender our state to you. We surrender our nation to you. We surrender this world to you, Lord Jesus, because it is yours already. You are the universal king, and we worship, glorify, honor, adore, and love you. May your will be done always. Amen. Amen. So we thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll tune in next time when we are going to talk about respectful disagreement. Yes, join us as we walk shoulder to shoulder. Until then, God bless.